Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. I'm Daniel Passer, and you're listening to the World is Wrong podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about... Ah, the Three Stooges! Welcome to The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists and film icons the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm the other host, Brian Connolly. And I'm going to turn off my air conditioning because I'm a professional. <laughs> yes, we're here to... We, we're starting off with... that. That's not doesn't quite register as slapstick. It's just a uh, audio <laughs> pratfall. Uh, but uh, we are here to discuss. What are we here to, to discuss, Brian? We, said we are it. here to discuss the Three Stooges movie from 2012. From the Farrelly brothers. Three yes, Stooges, brothers. two brothers, five guys. <laughs> yeah. And I'm excited. This is another movie like like a brown bunny. Like a mad dog time that when we discussed doing the show, like the alarms went off in my mind of like, we have to definitely cover that one at some point. Um, so I'm very excited to be doing this. As am I, as am I. <laughs> I think we are, we are both on the pro side of this film. Neither of us has to be convinced that it's, it's a good movie, but they're the, the three stooges are a whole mess of, Stoogin to dig into <laughs> and we're going to do that and yeah. we're going to dig into this film and if you haven't already seen it yeah, we're going to it's impossible to spoil it but maybe maybe it's not so you should probably watch it first <laughs> it's out there easy to find it's a short movie it's very short uh would you it, say short or perfectly length that's perfectly like whenever a movie, length yes whenever a movie's under 90 minutes i'm like that is a perfectly length movie that's how long that's not short that is exactly how long every movie should be that isn't by david lane yeah i you know like, I, I disagree with you on that <laughs> i like long movies but that's okay but yes it is perfectly timed <clears throat> why don't we play a clip and then we'll come back and you can tell us about this film those morons Hey, quit horsing around, you two. You're disturbing my coffee break. Oh, boy, donuts. Where's mine? They're small. Why don't you have two? Okay. Oh, now look what you did, Mo. You got donuts stuck in my ears. Hey, you're in luck. I got a donut remover right here. What's a donut remover? It's one of these. Donut remover. Huh, what are the odds of that? Hey, mugwumps. Mother Superior's looking for you! Yeah, let me get him. Uh, 
Uh-oh. Is that Sister Mary Mangala? I don't know, but the face rings a bell. Remind me to gouge your eyeballs out later. Don't move a muscle, sis. We'll be right there. Come on, get going. All right. <laughs> so, let's talk about the plot of the Three Stooges movie. Uh, so, the Three Stooges. Larry, Moe, Curly. The movie, the movie's broken into three parts. Actually, it's a very smart move on the Fairley Brothers' behalf because it is like watching three Three Stooges shorts because the original Three Stooges shorts were like, I think, two reels, which is about mm, 20 minutes. And so you have a 90-minute movie broken into three parts, so about 30 minutes per story. First story opens at an orphanage run by a bunch of nuns. Uh, the, the nuns are Jane Lynch, Jennifer Hudson... And wait for it, Larry David. <laughs> In one of his few film roles. There's not a lot of movies Larry David. We get blessed with a Larry David performance. But this is one of them. And they're delivered on their doorstep. Three babies with very weird haircuts or lack thereof. Here's the Three Stooges. We then follow them as children. <laughs> as they're wreaking havoc on this orphanage and they really want to get adopted and the orphanage, the nuns really want them to get adopted because of the constant problems they cause, but it just isn't in the cards. We then kind of grow up with them and the orphanage is in trouble and the three stooges are sent out to save the orphanage. They must raise like over $800,000 to save the orphanage. 830,000. <laughs> 830,000. And then this is basically like you're getting to the classic Fairley Brothers uh, territory of it's just there's very little plot. And it's just an excuse for gags and montages of gags as they try to figure out how to get this money. And then they get involved in some sort of a kind of murder for hire situation where a lady named Lydia, played by Sophia Vergara, and her husband mac played by craig birko not her husband they, her, but not well her that's lover. the twist uh well her lover but she they play it off as if she's the husband and he's basically wants to do like a bulworth thing of like you secretly assassinate me i don't want to know when it's coming because i'm dying of a horrible disease and like i don't want to suffer anymore so the stooges are like all right let's do it <laughs> Then there's a twist that it's not, it's kind of gets into some, a little bit of a film noir sort of thing where that's not really her husband. She has a real husband who is this rich guy that she wants the money, but then there's even more layers and more twists, which you don't expect from a three stooges movie, which we won't give all away. And basically it turns out though, that the rich guy that she actually wants killed her actual husband is the three stooges old pal, from the orphanage, the one that actually got adopted as a kid and left them behind and that they were all jealous of. But really, it's like with all Fairly Brothers movies, the plot is just there to kind of get, so they can just throw as many jokes and gags at you. This movie is uh, just dripping, just, just packed full of so many great things for Three Stooges fans. Lots of references that we will talk about in this episode. Uh, so to, to get some great fan service. But even if you are unfamiliar with the Three Stooges, this movie on its own has so much great visual gags and slapstick. And just like it's such a fast paced, funny movie. And everybody's doing a great job and everybody's being very funny that it doesn't really feel like an impersonation or parody. It really does feel like 
well, here's the new Three Stooges. Um, and for the Fairly Brothers fans out there, there is enough of their little gross stuff in there to make you happy, though on a pushing the boundaries of a PG rating level. Uh, so that's the plot of the Three Stooges. Okay. And uh, tell that's us, <laughs> Brian, how is this wicked old world wrong about <laughs> the Three Stooges movie? And maybe just the Three Stooges in general. Sorry, it, about both. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, let's start with just this movie and work our way back. And that will kind of lead us into talking about the three, the original three, the many original Three Stooges. So this movie kind of, before it even came out, sort of had a lot of people already being like, how dare they? Why are you redoing the Three Stooges? How can you do that? Like, these were real guys, classic comedy guys, and you're just going to replace them with new people? And this was already kind of at the end of people not caring about the Fairly Brothers as much. They hadn't really had a huge hit for a while at this point. And so I think people were kind of going in or not even attempting to go in, just assuming it was going to be crap. And critics were, you know, dismissive or unkind. And it just sort of came and went. And no one knew actually that this was the best comedy of 2012. And that like... The world needs comedies like this. And like slapstick is just not a thing that sh is around as much anymore. And but when they do come, when it does come around, people kind of think of it, it looks stupid and they don't give it a chance. Um, and so that's how the world is wrong about this movie. I feel people were instantly just dismissive of it. Just curious, what did our old friends at the, uh, the Razzies think of this film? <laughs> you know, I that's a good question. Well, here, yes, it did get a Razzie nomination, but not for the Three Stooges, but for the members of Jersey Shore for being the worst screen coupled nominee. And then I didn't realize that they do this, but the Houston Film Critics Society nominated this for worst picture, um, which is weird because it's like, do you need to do that? <laughs> Houston Film Critics Society a group that nobody cares about <laughs> you like just we'd be excited if we heard what your best movie was. And even we didn't hear about that, but you got to pick on three stooges. Good job. Houston film critic society. <laughs> but <laughs> so yeah, this movie was just kind of looked at like, Oh, here's another movie with like farts and like grown men falling down. How stupid, like why would we watch that? Um, and I know when this came out, I saw it opening day. I was so excited. And I told everybody how great this movie was. And most the reaction of most of those people was, really? Are you sure? Really? It's good? And I'm like, yeah, it's good. But now the backtrack into the Three Stooges in general, like in the world of slapstick comedy, in the history of slapstick comedy, you have kind of your top tier, highly regarded, like your Chaplins, your Buster Keatons, the ones that you know, film critics and artists and college students agree are like, are like those guys are geniuses. And then you, can I ask you a question? Sure. Can I, does, where does the Mark, do the Marx brothers fit yeah, in that and, top and tier? And then I or? think the, the Marx brothers are not top tier of being like cerebral and smart with the right balance of slapstick and like really clever wordplay. And then I think below that top tier, you have, like, if you're Laurel, Laurel and Hardy, which people who really like comedy really do like them, but they aren't kind of held at the same caliber as the other three. And then I think below that, you have your Abbott and Costello, 
which some people find stupid and repetitive or mean and other people find really funny. And then I feel like below that is when you get into the Three Stooges, where it really is like a very divisive comedy group where half the people find them really funny and the other half just find them incredibly stupid. Sometimes this is split between... Uh, some people say it's split between the sexes that like, this is like a very masculine, like men love seeing grown men slap each other and act like children. Women don't like the three stooges, but the women would like the Marx brothers. But there's also this highbrow, lowbrow thing of like, Oh, you like that crap? Like these guys just like, you know, threw together these shorts for Columbia. They're not as, you know, together or clever as the other comedy teams. Like they have their shtick. They have their dumb haircuts, but it's mostly just old men slapping each other. <laughs> Why is that funny? There's a lot of people who fight. And then, and then then they kind of became, in my mind, the spokespersons or the scapegoats, if you will, for slapstick as to why people want to put down slapstick. Of like, oh, slapstick, that's some silly shit like the Three Stooges. That's like really dumb, lowbrow, like violent. Like it's not clever. It's not smart. Their shorts aren't as well directed as like a Chaplin Keaton or Marx Brothers thing. It just feels kind of cheap. They just kind of churned them out. <laughs> and they this people just like to just kind of dismiss it as total stupidity. <laughs> and that's why the world is wrong about this movie and the Three Stooges. Though, like with everything that we cover, the Three Stooges, of course, have huge fans such as myself that really love and embrace them like more than any other comedy team. They are my favorite comedy team have always been always will be. Um, so I guess before we get into like the, the get into this movie and the three stooges, I'm interested to hear what you thought. Cause i saw this movie when it came out. I'm a huge three stooges fan. You're, you don't have a tattoo of a three stooge on your body and you recently saw this movie for the first time. So sort of like, what is your first sort of, I just want to hear kind of your thoughts for a second. Cause you also hate the Fairley brothers. Or at least that's what you've said many times on past episodes and to me. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't, let me be clear. I do not, I do not hate the Fairley brothers like as individuals, but I do really uh recoil from their films i do not i am i find myself insulted i am insulted by their movies and i always ha i have been from the it's this isn't something that I, that i came to late when i saw dumb and dumber it was the first movie that i ever uh, wanted to walk out of and i may <laughs> wow. have walked out of it wow uh, and not in not in a sense of like I'm offended, like oh this offends me. What you're showing me would sort of like it offends me that you think this is that you think I think this is funny. Um, hmm. It just it there's something lowest common denominator in their work that really like I don't mind like I gross out comedy can be really fun. All the things they do can be really funny and they do that. And sometimes they are well executed and funny, but there is a, there is a tone to it that I feel is like, um, I get it also sometimes from Seth MacFarlane, a quality of like a very, of a very smart person playing to a lowbrow, what they think of as a lowbrow sensibility. Hmm. 
so it seems disin it seems disingenuous and low it's like it, yeah it really it it rings hollow to me and i actually i know some people who know i think know pete farrelly yeah it's pete farrelly and i hear he's a really great and nice guy so i you know and i've also heard that he's a you know you hear rumors from the in the press about people that their sets are like were very sexist and not very comfortable for women and I believe that, but I also believe that about Hollywood in general. Yeah. But I also think about like this movie, like you left out one of the nuns is Kate Upton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they, I mean, the way that they photograph women is really ogly in yeah. ways that are subtle and not so subtle. And so there's also a little bit of like, I don't know, to me, like, I don't know if it's sour grapes Maybe that's the wrong word for it, but something about like there's not to get into it, but there's been a lot of talk in the last year of looking at Woody Allen's movies for examples of the way he's been grooming America to be, you know, somehow deviant. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to look for a film that does that, this is a, like this film and the films of the Fairley brothers do that in terms of training us to <clears throat> sort of alternately ogle human bodies and also be repulsed by them. <laughs> um, I feel like they personally, I feel like they they ruined Ben Stiller. Huh. I feel like Ben Stiller I, yeah, was on his yeah. way to a really, really interesting career. Yeah. And he became this big money like nebbishy loser like he was <laughs> like to me as a jewish guy he was like oh this is going to be our really smart handsome jewish leading man auteur the next one and instead he became sort of like the a really bad parody of again to use woody allen like a, a even like a much more cartoonish version of that neurotic mm -hmm. frightened little jewish man which is yeah. just, yeah. you know, nothing wrong with that entirely, but I, Ben Stiller was on his way to a lot more. And I still think he could, st I still believe he can do a lot more and he has done a lot more, but in the public consciousness for a lot of people, he's the guy he's been, <laughs> he was in something about Mary and then played in a bunch of other really big money making movies. Yeah. Like the, and yeah, that makes me sad. Yeah. And, I, and, like, <laughs> and it was sad because like coming off of like the Ben Stiller show is one of the great comedy shows of all time yes and yes and reality bites and the cable guy are both really interesting movies like you could tell he was still trying to find his voice but they're both interesting and then yeah something about mary kind of derailed into him making meet the parents and along came polly and a lot of like something about mary ripoffs you know where it's like here's a gross comedy with a babe in it and you're the guy who's, who's chasing after the blonde lady and he kind of got stuck in that. And I think it wasn't until like Tropic Thunder where he was able to kind of climb out of that. And that movie's great. And that was sort of like, oh, he's back to that good satire that he's so good at. Uh, and I think he's been back there. But there was that, yeah, that sad 10 years, like two, like 97 to 2007, where he just like, come on, Ben Stiller, you are so funny. Stop beating this crap. <laughs> but, did you like... Uh, Kingpin? I... Because that's one was a lot of people make an exception for that one. With the I don't... I don't... No, I, I don't... It doesn't... The things that I like about Kingpin... 
the film still does all the things I don't like. So that's, I think that's part of it. It's not, it's not that they aren't capable of doing things that are funny or working with really good actors or make you're just like doing stuff that's, that's good comedy, but it always has this sort of, I don't know, just this really gross, like it really does come down to this on the one hand, ogling hot women and then being disgusted about every other human body on the planet, male, <laughs> old, whatever. It's just, you know, it's like, I don't, like, gross out is fine if we're, if we're grossed out by something that's gross. But the idea of that an older woman's body is the grossest like, thing on the, the planet. That's the joke, is that an old lady's naked and that's like the joke. And there is no joke other than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's- and that just is, and it's not like, like, it's not like it's, this is coming from some place of being an advocate for whoever that joke is hurting. Yeah. It, I'm an advocate for myself. It's hurting my brain that <laughs> you, smart person, who has so much possibility. And I think it's funny. It's like I really do feel like Green Book is – it's not – like the thing that's wrong with Green Book isn't that it's racist – you know that's certainly a reasonable critique of it. Yeah, and I've I've talked about it before. I don't think if it was if it never won the best picture, I don't think anyone would have, you know, clocked it as being like, oh, there's this horribly racist film that's out there. <laughs> it's just like it's just taking up too much space. But what it did was it exposed that if you live your life playing to the lowest common denominator, when you have the opportunity to do something real and good you will not have the muscles. Mm. As a filmmaker, you will not be able to make a film that is worthy. Even if you win the best picture, everyone will see through the fact that you're just, you're not worthy of that as an artist. Yeah. So in a way that like, I do feel justified in my judgment of the Farrelly brothers because I just feel like what I saw in Dumb and Dumber came (laughs) true in Green Book. Of like, <laughs> you were always not as smart as you thought. think you are. And if you pretend to be dumb for long enough, you will become dumb. <laughs> and, <laughs> and all of that said, I, other than that those qualities are still there in this film, for the most part, they aren't. And what's good about this film totally transcends my fairly dislike. There are some things in this that I just, I, I'm really glad the first watch was transcendent. I've watched it two times (laughs) since then in preparation for this and it's less transcendent, but still good. Um, And still some of the stuff I laugh out loud at. (laughs) There's a scene. There's a scene. Actually, it's funny. They really let some of the other people who aren't, uh, the Stooges have some great comedy, and that actor who plays the boyfriend, Craig Bierko, is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, his first. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I get. I really get. I there. So when they uh, when they hire when they when he and Sophia Sophia Vergara Sophia Vergara. And Craig Bierko, when they hire the Stooges to kill him, there's an, an immediate series of uh, <laughs> slapstick events that, where 
And, he gets and it moves so fast. It's he great. Gets it's that little bit. I want to. I'm going to take that minute because that's definitely under a minute. And I'm just going to put that well, on our Instagram. Well, he, like, because... gets, he gets like pushed in front of a bus, got into a, a street sweeper, pogo sticked on, and then an arrow <laughs> falls into his leg. And when he gets hit with the arrow, is my favorite part, and it might be my favorite part in the movie in the sense that I have watched the movie three times. And every time he gets hit with that arrow, I laugh. <laughs> it's it's really perfect. I mean, they that's what I mean. They are so. I after all that crapping on them, or I I'm, I hope I'm not crapping on them. I'm just being honestly critical of them. I am not above enjoying what they do well. Like I I have been a big fan of theirs. Like I. When I saw Dumb and Dumber, I loved that movie. I saw that. I didn't leave the theater. I actually saw that movie in the theater like four times when it came out. But it came out when I was 13. As I was walking out, you were walking in. Again. And I, but I was 13 when that movie came out. And I was yeah. riding on a high of like Jim Carrey. I just loved Ace Ventura. So I went into that as like a Jim Carrey movie. But I loved it so much that then me and my friends then rushed out to watch Kingpin when that came out and we loved Kingpin and we were like oh my god we can't believe we're seeing this kind of shocking tasteless jokes in a movie and then same thing with there's something about Mary and same thing with me myself and Irene and we were just sort of like this is great and then and then and like and, and maybe people who are younger don't remember or they weren't around but like they were sort of like the kings of comedy for a while like they were sort of that post I don't know what they were post, but they were like right before Apatow and that whole world took over comedy. So they were kind of like the their movies were sort of the big money makers. And then all of Hollywood wanted to make movies like the Fairly Brothers. So then you had this whole slew of R-rated sex comedies, you know, that for teenage boys. And they were there were so many of them that came out and most of them crap. But that was just sort of like the thing. It was like, we also will have a movie with semen in it or a dick joke. or like It was like a thing until a 40-year-old virgin kind of broke and kind of took that and took it into a different direction. But like, I think what switched for me, like I was into them so much. And then Shallow Hal was the first one where I thought like, well, that's just kind of mean. <laughs> And their movies just kind of got mean. And maybe they were always mean and I was too young to kind of realize it. But like Shallow How and like Stuck on You and Hall Pass and the Heartbreak Kid remake all just kind of have this meanness to it. And the characters are like too unlikable. And the joke is too much like punching down. And it's and especially the Heartbreak Kid. I hated that one because I love the original so much. And they totally fucking missed the point of the... I don't know if you ever saw the remake, but like... Yeah, I They couldn't. messed the whole yeah. point of the movie because the original movie is Charles Grodin is a total jerk <laughs> to this wife who's, yes, is obnoxious, and then he chases after Sybil Shepherd, chases after the Shiksa, and goes and gives up everything for that and realizes that he fucked up and he should have been with the kind of obnoxious Jewish woman. But the... Fairly Brothers movie have it where like no the guy's in the right he should be with the hot blonde lady no that's who he should be with like he should be with the pretty lady and I think it's is it Jennifer Aniston or whatever in that one and so like it's just weird how they kind of make him the good guy in that and he's in the right and the blonde and the well the lady in the they switched it where in the Heartbreak Kid remake he, the Jewish guy is the hero and the bad, his wife is the blonde lady who's awful. But then the other attractive lady kind of saves him from 
um, or it's Michelle Monaghan. That's who it is, not Jennifer Aniston. But like, but then he's sort of in the right the whole time. He's right to cheat on his wife and go off with this other lady, and they kind of messed the whole point of the original Elaine Manuel Sammy thing, which was weird. And so then they, that's kind of the movie that kind of like those last few movies killed them, and people stopped didn't see them. And then the, to me, the Three Stooges was like this breath of fresh air after all of that crap. Where like, oh, finally, they're making a movie that's funny and it doesn't feel mean. It's only mean on that Three Stooges level in that it's like really violent. <laughs> but it's all, but the Three Stooges mean really well. They just handle all their emotions by slapping each other and using power tools. <laughs> but, yeah. But so I kind of definitely was coming in reluctant in that, like, I kind of gave up on the Fairly Brothers when this movie came out. And I think maybe that's a lot of people as to why they didn't give it a chance. Yeah. And then there was basically Dumb and Dumber 2 and then Green Book. <laughs> and then they were one Oscars. <laughs> so, who who knew when they saw the three stu- when we, I saw the three studio that these people would go on to win Oscars. Uh, Hollywood's a funny place. <laughs> the I am not a, a hater of Green Book. Green Book is a fine movie to watch on a Saturday afternoon, but there is nothing in it that is awards worthy. Whereas <laughs> Will Stooges. Sasso's performance in <laughs> Three Stooges is maybe the maybe the great performance of 2012. It, it would definitely so, <laughs> get an Oscar, a an Oscar, oh, like a yeah. because oh, yeah. holy, yeah. I mean. Uh, uh, yeah, well, so like, we haven't even got into talking about this. So but, I guess yes. let's let's before we get into this movie. Still, I think we're, there's a lot of like pre there's a lot of pre to talk about in this. Yeah, so, like, we got to. What is your what is your history with the Three Stooges? Because like I'm interested to know kind of like you growing up as a kid. Like, were you into that? Because like that was definitely like, they were definitely huge in my family. The Three Stooges. So I'm a little bit older than you, and when I was a kid. The Three Stooges were on TV in reruns. Abbott and Costello was on TV in reruns. Laurel and Hardy and Charlie Chaplin and Marx Brothers were all actual movie movies that yeah. I'd see sometimes on PBS. So I, th- I actually lump Abbott and Costello and the Three Stooges in more with the Munsters and <laughs> the Adams Family and, you know, just black and white 50s tv that was in reruns in the 70s yeah and or six late six or early 60s tv but black and white comedy on tv and i always i always liked the stooges when i was a kid i always i think every kid relates to curly maybe i'm wrong but oh (laughs) and the other one that this goes with is uh the little rascals i feel i always feel like little rascals And the Three Stooges and Abbott and Costello. It's almost like the three stages of evolution. Like you're a, when you're a kid as the as our gang, and then you're when you're a teenager, you're the Three Stooges, and when you're an adult, you're a scammer like Abbott and Costello. Uh, and then when you're a bitter person in your 40s, but you're like better than everyone else, then you're the Marx Brothers, right? Yeah, that's what... Smart and heightened. Or, or, or W.C. Fields. Like, W.C. Uh, Fields. <laughs> Lenny Bruce. Whichever one you, whichever one you go down, the, that's the sophisticated <laughs> comedy. You know, or honestly, and this is... Or you become I, this, the Fairley Brothers thing, which is to become the hack. 
And it's not, <laughs> it's not that in a way that's, that is more of an insult because of the way it's used and then the way I mean it. Like Johnny Carson is beloved, but he is a hack. He did, he picked, he had one shtick that worked for him because it was on TV and it was lovable. And like this, there's no insult to that, but Johnny Carson couldn't go out and do that as a comedian and achieve the same success he did just being casual on TV. If he tried yeah. to do more, he would never have got that gig. Or if he That's was like, I'm I... in a movie now. I'm the star of a movie. We're like, we don't want that Johnny Carson. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> you know, there's a kind of... Bob Odenkirk was making things and getting TV shows not picked up the whole time that the Farrelly brothers were running comedy in Hollywood, that their aesthetic was running comedy in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. This is the what this is what succeeded at that time. It's not like they made this succeed. They knew how to make the kind of things that succeed. Bob Odenkirk did not know how to make the kind of things that succeed. So or like, you know, Heat Vision and Jack. Wouldn't Heat so Vision and Jack good. is better than all of these Fairly Brothers things. And it was happening around the same time. And the world rejected that and rejected the Ben Stiller show and chose this. The world was wrong, and these they were well paid for it. But that's what I mean is in terms of talking about the hacks. But anyway, bringing it back to my my feeling about the the Three Stooges, yeah, I I always enjoyed them. I have one. I have an uncle who I think listens to this podcast who was really into him, and he was sort of my cool uncle. So I. <laughs> thought they were cool because he thought they were cool. There's something about the Three Stooges that feels very much like uncles like the Three Stooges. <laughs> feels like they're the audience of uncles. The three yeah. I mean, most uncles are like the Three Stooges. They're the ones cracking wise and being a wise guy, which then is funny because everyone's dad is someone else's uncle. So you're like, why aren't you as funny as my <laughs> uncle dad, who is someone else's uncle? There's something about being an uncle that changes you and your humor. And I remember the song Merzy Dotes that the the Stooges put out as a a novelty single. You know the song? <laughs> yes, Mersey Dotes yep. and Daisy uh yeah. Dozy Dotes and Little Lambsy Divey. A kiddly divey too. I'll put it out I'll see if I can grab it and put it in here so that we will get hit for copyright infringement. So yeah, yeah, that's that's my take with the Stooges. So I grew up with the Stooges and I also had two brothers, so it was very easy to reenact all three Stooges routines, the three of us. And whenever we were in trouble, my dad would play the mo and give us one slap to hit all three heads. So we had a very stooge childhood. <laughs> and I and like I always found Larry very fascinating. Like he is uh like he's an interesting because Mo is definitely the the boss, the bully, he's the guy in charge, he's the one he's the leader. Uh he's the no nonsense guy. Curly is the child. He's like the eternal baby, basically like the true innocent. And then Larry's this interesting sort of like guy in the middle. He often gets kind of blamed for what one of the other one does and gets in trouble for something he didn't do, or he'll get caught up in what the other one's doing and kind of follow along. So he's like this really interesting character. And he's definitely the one in the middle. Like when you think of Larry, he's the middle one. And I don't know. Like, I'm really fascinated by Larry because he also, out of the three, maybe seems like the nicest one and maybe even the smartest one. But he's stuck with these two idiots. <laughs> and so, and that's also interesting because of the real life dynamic. Because in real life, 
Curly and Moe are brothers and Larry was not. So like you have this dynamic of this sort of older brother, younger brother dynamic. And then you have the guy in the middle who's having to kind of deal with kind of that crossfire in a way and getting caught up in it or, you know, you know, being punished for it. So like, I think that's an interesting, like Larry Fine is a very interesting, dare I say, very underrated comedian. Cause I don't think anyone's favorite is Larry. I think you have your Mo fans who love saying like, ah, wise guy or whatever. And you definitely have your curly fans. But like, I feel Larry needs a little more love in this world <laughs> in terms of the original lineup of the okay. Stooges. So, so. <laughs> let's let, actually, we're, we're kind of getting into that. We called them the three Stooges, but there have been four Stooges. There's been many Stooges. There's more than four Stooges. Could you give us... So, for, I, you, I'll, you, I'll give you a quick... Yeah. So this is, like, to me, like this may seem like a tangent, but not because to me, this is what made me truly accept the Fairly Brothers movie is is like and i'll get to it so basically the stooges first started as a helper to a bigger comedian at the time there's a guy named ted healy and his thing was ted healy and his three stooges so ted healy was the main act and he had these three guys that kind of played off of him and he, but he was the star then he thought he was the talented one so he ditched his three stooges and went off at his own and died a broke sad man at a young age and the Three Stooges went off and succeeded greatly. Like, they did very well, the Three Stooges, and made all these movies for Columbia Pictures for years. And they were always shorts. They never, they made a few features, but they really lived in the world of sort of the two-reeler that would play before a feature. And for years, Curly then has a stroke. He is then replaced by Shemp Howard, the other brother. He is Curly and Moe's brother. And actually, when it was Ted Healy and his Three Stooges, it was originally with Shemp. And then Shemp went off on his own to do lots of uh, W.C. Fields movies and Abbott and Costello movies. And they thought when they went to on their own, Hollywood thought that Shemp and Moe were too similar. And they're like, do you have someone else that can kind of be different? And that's when they brought in their brother, Curly, who was named that because he used to have long curly hair. But then they made him shave it all off to look very different for the movie. Um, but he left and then Shemp came back. So Shemp came back into the, in the shorts and Shemp is definitely the cool one. He's definitely sort of like the Mike Nesmith of the, of the Stooges. Like he is like the cool, like, cause he's the, he's the Stooge that you really can't pin down. Cause he's not like Mo or Curly or Larry. He's his own weird thing. And he's a like greasy long hair. I'm a huge Shemp fan. I have a Shemp tattoo on my body. For anyone who's fans of like the films of Sam Raimi, he's a huge Shemp fan. And so there's always Shemp stuff in all the Evil Dead movies, all his movies like 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 that. Some good Shemp love from the Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell crew. Then Shemp dies unexpectedly <coughs> and young. Then he is replaced by Joe Besser, uh, Matt Besser's grandfather from the Upright Citizens Brigade. And Joe Besser has it in his contract that he cannot be slapped by Mo, So those shorts do not work as well <laughs> as the other Three Stooges shorts. And he's there for and Joe Besser's thing. And he was popular from the Abbott and Costello TV show. And his thing was he would play kind of like a big baby. So he kind of taps into that curly like man child thing, but even more aggressively like... Like on the uh, Abbott and Costello show, he'd have that kind of little Lord Fauntleroy sort of like hat with tassels, sort of big lollipop sort of character. Uh, and then he 
goes away. He doesn't die. He just he doesn't work with him. Then he's replaced by Curly Joe Dorita. Now Curly Joe looks a lot like Curly. And what happened was the Three Stooges kind of fell out of vogue. But then they started rerunning them on TV in the early 60s. And ki little kids got really into them again. So they brought back a new Curly in the hopes that kids wouldn't notice that it wasn't the original Curly. And thought like, this is another overweight bald man. We're going to say he's Curly, Curly Joe. And that'll work. And they went on the road and did all these shows and introduced shorts at theaters and kids went wild for it. And they were a huge success again in the sixties with Curly Joe. And those, these were only features. So they made many features together. Uh, they're in a Rat Pack movie, uh, four for Texas, I think is what it's called. Is that a, is that a Rat Pack movie? That sounds right. Sure. Three Stooges show up in that. They show up in it's a mad, 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 mad world. And they're riding high. They're then, uh, in the 70s, Larry dies, I think also of a stroke. Then they replace Larry with Emil Sitka. Emil Sitka is the, if, if everyone's, one of the most famous uh, Three Stooges uh, clips is the guy, this priest who's doing a marriage between Shep and woman. He says, hold hands, you love birds. And I believe that <laughs> clip is in like Goodfellas or like Pulp Fiction. But they brought that actor, Emil Sitka, was in a lot of Three Stooges shorts. They brought him in to replace Larry. And they kind of had him be kind of a fake Larry. They were going to be in the movie Blazing Stewardesses. And it was going to be this reveal of this. This is the mid-70s now is where we're at. And they were going to be in that movie. But then Mo dies. <clears throat> And they get replaced by the Ritz brothers. So if anyone's ever seen Blazing Stewardesses, the Ritz brothers are in it. They're great in it. There's a big sandwich gag that's amazing. But that was supposed to be the Three Stooges. But the death of um, Mo kind of made it so it was they were just done forever. But kind of what this all means to me is that like, like the James Bonds, like the Emmanuels, every few years there's a new one. And you just kind of accept it. And especially if you're a fan, you definitely accept it. You're like, well, here's a new one, and it's not the same people, but as long as the tone or the feel, as long as it's hitting that stuff that I want from this thing, it works. So that's kind of what I thought of going into the Fairly Brothers movie was like, yes, these aren't the original Mo, Larry, and Curly, but we've always we've had Curly Joe. And if I was okay with Curly Joe, then I'm going to give Will Sasso a chance being his Curly. And that's kind of how I went in with an open mind with this movie. Which is a perfect way to get us to now talk about the cast. Who are our three stooges in this new three stooges <laughs> movie from 2012? Now, by the way, 2012 was the year that the Mayan calendar predicted the end of one massive cycle of time and the beginning of another. And so it makes sense that a new Three Stooges this, would be born from those yeah, ashes. Yeah, this new era would be heralded <laughs> by Three Stooges uh, <laughs> archetypes. And there is something, there is something actually, I would say, shamanically inspired about the way that these three actors take on these three archetypes and bring them to life. I I could Cuz it's I could it's say amazing. I could see someone <laughs> I could see someone looking at this and looking at all of them and saying my favorite three stooges is this is the Will Sasso three <laughs> stooges. And it is as good as I mean they're all amazing 
but I'm just going to keep saying this. Will Sasso is doing is at another level of like I already liked him, and to know that yeah. this was in him, and he didn't he doesn't have to change that much. That's what I mean. It's like it makes you realize that he's been curly all the time. <laughs> well. Let me just jump in before we get into these three brilliant actors okay. and their brilliant performance yes. here. This is your, a good, your show. A kind of an interesting thing to to learn about this is that this has been a movie that the Fairly Brothers had been trying to make for a very long time. Like right after There's Something About Mary, this was the movie they wanted to make. I bet. And they've been try- they were trying to make this movie for a very long time. And do you remember the original lineup of this movie when it was going to be made in like the year 2000. What I'll you, tell you, you what, what, what I, what I know is this is that that's the year, <laughs> the years that I was living uh, in a trailer outside of Andy Dick's place. And I yeah. remember that this, this was a script that was, that was around his place. And so he like, was definitely the, going for Larry. So when this was like going to be, cause this was going to be a huge movie at the time. Like after something about Mary made a trillion dollars and everyone was knocking on the Fairly brothers door, the original lineup was going to be Mel Gibson was going to be Mo, which totally works because he seems like a huge mean guy. Yeah. Uh, Curly was going to be an overweight Jim Carrey. I don't know if it was going to be in a fat suit or if he was going to pull like a raging bowl and just gain a bunch of weight. And then the one that was really exciting was Larry was going to be Sean Penn. And that was the cast that, that was kept bouncing around the rumor mill. Of like, this is the new Three Stooges with these three guys. Can you believe it? And I was like, I kind of see that work. I can definitely like strangely see Sean Penn do a really amazing Larry. Like a Larry that would win an Oscar. (laughs) But sadly, that never happened. Or maybe fantastically, that didn't happen. And it kind of almost kept happening. And then eventually this came about. And I remember, I think another thing that people were kind of sad about was that when this cast was announced... It was sort of like, oh, the who who's this Chris Diamond? Like I can't even say his name. And Will Sat, the guy from Mad TV, and Sean Hayes from Will and Grace. Like really, like that's your cast? That's not gonna work. Like who are these people? Like the guy you cast as Mo is too handsome. Like Chris Diamond Diamondopolis. Diamondopolis. He's too handsome to be Mo. How can he be a Mo? Like Mo was an ugly little man, and here's this handsome hunky guy. Like, how is this going to work? Like, Sean Hayes is Larry. That, that doesn't make sense. And yet, it makes so much sense. And, like, they rise above doing a parody, doing an impersonation. And instead, they really do embody these characters and these people that were real people, in a way. <laughs> and and it's just, their like, their chemistry is as if they had been doing shorts forever. And, like, the fact that these are not... I mean, maybe Will Sasso is the exception, but these aren't trained vaudevillians like the Three Stooges. Like, these aren't people who are trained in doing, like, slapstick bits and doing this kind of physical comedy. And yet they are incredible at it. Like, like they're so good. Yeah, you never, you don't know. They must, there must be some training there because, yeah, this is very high-level clowning in the most again uh, sort of specific and respectful use of that term but it's not just them it's we, we'll get into talking about the way that the film is able to amplify the the physical comedy using cinema trickery that is like i actually have questions about how they did some stuff 
I just always yeah. assume it's digital effects, but it has it, <laughs> it ends up having the quality sometimes of the special effects of 30s and 40s <laughs> comedies. Which is great. Yes. yes. <laughs> like the purposely terrible dummies, like when they fall out the building and they land on the ground and there's like this shot of just like the worst looking That's exactly what I was that thinking aren't even of, yes. Trying, aren't even trying to look like real people at all, but you accept it because in the world of the Three Stooges, that really happened. Like when you watch these Three Stooges shorts from the 40s and 30s, like there is like the worst, most shameless dummies being thrown all over the place. <laughs> like they don't even seem like they're full of anything, you know, like it's like maybe straw. And, <laughs> but it works for the aesthetic of like, if you're working on this sort of like heightened stupidity, like it's brilliant. <laughs> yes. So our three stooges are, as you said, Chris Demetopoulos as Mo, Sean Hayes as Larry, and Will Sasso as Curly, only saying his name last because if I said it first, we couldn't, you know, you wouldn't think about any of the other things. But actually, I was thinking when you were talking about Mo, that Chris Demetopoulos is too handsome to play Mo. The kid who plays the kid Mo is played by this actor named Skylar Gizondo. He Love was him. in, um, yeah, and he's in the new P.T. Anderson film. And he's a he's, pretty good looking guy too. So they, And he's really yeah. funny. Like if, if he's like in the Santa Clarita diet, he is so brilliant. Like he is a great actor, a great comedian. Like he and he's young. Yeah. And I feel like he is gonna be a, a consistent rising star for comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's weird. I don't want I'm not sure if this is a film where we where we walk through it and talk about like I, in a way, I don't want to give away like a lot of the funny visual gags. I don't want to tell you, tell them yeah. to you because I hope I didn't ruin the one with Craig Bierko. But I think it's just, <laughs> I think it's great that some of the other people who are in it, like Brian Doyle Murray, has some great physical comedy to do. You you kind of get the sense that you that everyone who's doing this knows what they're doing yeah. and is having. A lot of fun. Although, again, try and think. Most of the physical comedy is with guys, and most of the most of the women, what they're doing is either being ogled, gross, or sort of flustered and judgy. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's not. Be and this is not that it's like oh. That's so they're evil for it. It's just it's just the reason we love the wrong Missy is because uh, Lauren Lapkus gets to fall off that cliff. And yeah. And and I don't know if you would if you got Jennifer Hudson and Kate. Is it Kate Hudson, too? Upton. Oh, Kate Upton. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, but I'm sure that you could have come up with like if, if someone who's smart and funny who wanted to could come up with some funny stuff for them to do too. Like they never got to hit, do any slapstick, but almost every guy who walks on gets to slap <laughs> someone or bump bounce on their belly or do something, do some slapstick. And the woman that does get to do the slapstick is Larry David dressed as a nun. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, it's, 
it's weird, but there's so much love for the Stooges and what they're doing. And it's not like the women were treated great in Stooges movies. They just weren't treated in this. This is my Farrelly baggage. I bring it to every Farrelly party. I unpack it and then then I don't get invited again. <laughs> uh, but let's come back to talking about the film because what's we're, we're talking about what's the best part about this film. So you have these three great actors embodying these characters in a way that no matter how much we could talk about them, you should just watch it because it's like watching a dancer. You know, that's kind of how they do these roles. But I'm curious, were there any things... Since you're a deep stooge scholar, um, <laughs> were there any things that, that you noticed throughout the film that was like, oh, they're specifically referencing this or oh, that? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, this movie has so much of that. Like, they definitely were big fans or slash did their homework. I think they're just big fans. But, like, there's definitely direct references to stooge uh, shorts, like the sort of the violence at the beginning with the power tools where they're sort of like rubbing, putting Curly's face on like the sander and stuff. That is from like, there, there's a short called They Stooge to Conga, which has been, was banned from TV for a while because it's considered the most violent stooge short. And a lot of those gags with the tools in that beginning scene in the barn, or I guess they're on the roof of the church changing the bell, though taken directly from They Stooge to Conga. Uh, like they put Curly's face on the sander. Uh, like it is so incredibly violent. Like that short. It's a, if you can ever seek it out. Like there's a part where there's like a hiking spike on Curly's shoe, and he's stepping into Mo's face, and the spikes like going into his head and his eye socket, and it's brutal. <laughs> so that's definitely one. Uh, when the babies are peeing, like there's a part where they're in a hospital and they're having a fight with peeing babies. I hated that that's, part. That was the one part I didn't like. <laughs> To me, that's clearly a reference to Dutiful But Dumb when Curly is fighting a spitting oyster. He has an oyster stew in that short and the oyster is spitting water at him and starts so like oh, Curly yeah. versus this oyster. This. Yeah, so that's definitely like, and that's definitely like, that's one of the more Fairly Brothers type scenes in this movie where it's them kind of taking their kind of gross out body fluid humor and kind of morphing it with a stooge bit. And I agree. That's like my least favorite thing. Uh, and then the whole bit, with the lion, uh, there is a stooge short called Hold That Lion uh, that, that has them dealing awesome. with a lion. Craig Birko again. <laughs> he's he's uh, pretty amazing. Do you, Are you a fan of his? Oh, I am. From other stuff? I'm a fan. Like, I'm a fan. And we will definitely cover on the show sometime the movie Sour Grapes that he did with Larry oh, David. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that yeah. is a very hated movie. And he is so funny in that. And if I think... Wasn't he in the, um, they tried to do an American version of Red Dwarf. And I think he was in that. Did you ever see, did you ever see that? <laughs> I did not see that. I'm a big fan of his from the series Unreal. Mm. So I don't like, rea- I don't, I've, I've never really got into watching reality shows at all. But this series about the making of a reality show called Unreal and he plays one of the producers is pretty great. It's definitely, <laughs> it gets, it hooks you. But the main uh, Cherie Appleby and Constant Zimmer, that's what I was trying to think of. Constant Zimmer is the main, plays the main producer who goes toe-to-toe with him and she's one of my favorite uh, sort of TV character actors who yeah. is like a movie star, but not quite yeah. in this weird way. But yeah, 
He's in great this, in Scary Movie see. 4 as well. Like, check out yeah. Scary Movie 4. He's very good in that. Yeah. But, like, yeah. that's kind of, like, there's there's definitely some deep cuts, but then they also kind of hit all the things you want to see the Stooges do in this movie. Like, it gives you sort of what you want from each character. Like, you get to see Curly do his little running circles on the ground. You get to see the different ways that most slaps people where he slapped the fist and he slapped the head. And, like, you, they kind of hit on all the physicality that the Stooges are like do, like, all those little bits. Like, it's, like, good at... Like I said earlier, fan service, but also like deep fan service with some of these references. I'm a little disappointed there's not a little Shemp reference in there somehow, some way. But maybe if they ever made a sequel. Um. Yeah, why do you think that is? That seems I, like a pretty glaring he's too, I think he's too... Because like when you... Like popular cultures embracing of the Three Stooges, like when you go to like a Spencer Gifts and they'll, they'll sell like a bottle opener... It's always Curly. It's Curly because Curly appeals to like a frat dudes, you know, where he's like, oh, he's this like big oafish guy who clearly can drink a bunch of beer, but he's like a man child and he like he breaks things, but then he hits people, but then he gets angry, but then he's really nice. And so there's something that's very appealing of Curly to like just young men or older men, like anyone that has like a man cave. Probably it be, has like a poster of Curly or whatever. No, what like, if, wouldn't it have been great if like if Teddy... <laughs> If Teddy had looked as like he looks, but his name, but he'd been name had been Shempy, or the Peezer and Weezer kids, I, like the it thing seems is, like, like in Shemp, the like, in the orphanage, there could have been some Shemp something. But I think right? I think Shemp is just still too culty. Like I think like normal people don't really know Shemp. Normal but people Stoog, don't really care about the three Stooges. <laughs> but I think, uh, but 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 Stooge fans go for Shemp. Like I think Shemp is still kind of in that cult thing. Like it's not as like so in a movie like, no one's called buy the a... Three Stooges movie. Who do you don't you think that that's like? But I think that... they were trying to appeal to the masses with this, and I think a lot of Stooge fans avoided this movie because they're like, I like my Stooges. I don't want to see some new shit. So I, th- I think Stooge fans weren't the audience for this, and they didn't go to see it. I think mm-hmm. they were hoping it would be someone's dad, or like, oh, you'll bring your kids to see this thing. And everyone, like, they want Curly. They don't want a Shemp, which makes sense. Like, I yeah. understand that. But, like, for Shemp, like, you know, him being my favorite actor of all time, the only face that's on my body that's not my own, I'm, of course, a huge Shemp fan. But who would play a good Shemp? I don't know. You know, if you want to see a shimp, watch the three Michael Stooges Shannon. TV movie. <laughs> that would be great. There is a really good shimp. The guy who played the Crypt Keeper in Tales from the Crypt plays shimp in the TV movie about the Three Stooges that Mel Gibson produced, which I highly recommend. Michael Chiklis plays Curly, and he's amazing. And that movie is great. Um, made for TV movie. It is available on DVD. Um <laughs> But let's let's kind of talk through the three main guys. Uh, let's start with Sean Hayes uh, as Larry. Larry again, I think is a is maybe the hardest of the three to play because it's like it's harder to kind of pinpoint a Larry, and you're kind of the stooge in the middle, so you don't get to go as big as a curlier mode. But he does a very good job of he gets he definitely has the voice down exactly. Mm-hmm. And what's cool about Sean Hayes is he also got to play Jerry Lewis. Any Martin and Lewis TV movie made a few years before this. So the fact that he got to play Jerry Lewis and Larry Fine makes Sean Hayes like extra cool. <laughs> I didn't see his Jerry Lewis. Was he very good? Very that's a great movie. 
and he is very good as Jerry Lewis. Also, if you, it's, the fact that you tattooed Shemp on your body doesn't mean that you love Jerry Lewis any less than Shemp. Am I correct? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's something about having a really ugly Shemp Howard on your body to be the ultimate test of which like, so, woman stays with you for the rest of your life. So that that's just so. to be clear. The only reason Jerry Lewis is not tattooed on your body is that he is too handsome. Too handsome. <laughs> too handsome. So just so you know, that's how much that's just I, I want to make it. I'm trying to define, you know, some people when they say Jerry Lewis, they don't mean it with as much love as you do. So, yeah. But I think Sean Hayes does a good job. Like, like that definitely is like the least rewarding role in a way of the three, you know. But he does such a good job, and he is definitely just like really funny and really likable. And just the way he's, the way he talks, that Larry voice, the, he has he has I think some of the best lines in the movie. Like the way he delivers things, the way he is stupid, and the way he is ignorant is so funny to me in this movie. Dough um. nut remover. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Chris Diamatopoulos is so good as Mo. He he really embodies Mo in a. It's like to me he is like the really like he's one of the more special things about this movie because like I never heard of him before this. He was mostly a cartoon voice actor. Like he did Mickey. On the new Mickey thing, the only other thing I ever saw him in was that Arrested Development. He was on Arrested Development. Oh, you never saw? Did you ever watch Silicon Valley? No. He is. Mm. He plays a great role in Silicon Valley as a sort of crazy <laughs> billionaire hedge fund investor who gets embroiled with the gang. But he is definitely over the top and wild. But you don't. Nothing that he did. I've seen him do funny things, but nothing that he's done made me think, oh, that's that's Mo. And when I <laughs> and saw like, when I and, and when I saw this movie afterwards, I, I I had to put it together like, oh, yeah, that's some great acting. It's great acting. And like and we've you know, we've covered the Oscars, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. And uh, and like we always talk about I always talk about like comedy is just never considered you know especially like this slapstick but like if in a perfect world if the oscars appreciated true comedy like he would have totally gotten an oscar (laughs) nomination because it's an amazing role because he is not mo mo was mo this is a guy having to do mo but have it not be an impersonation but have him be mo and he does it beautifully and brilliantly and like god his face must have hurt at the end of every day having to hold it in that kind of mo frown scowl Mm -hmm. For take after take, day after day, <laughs> that I can imagine that it's just like the wrinkles that have formed on his face now because of doing this movie. And like, there's not a lot of makeup going on here other than the wigs. Like, their faces are their faces. And he's just like, the way he just kind of holds his body, like, he just really does portray Mo Howard perfectly. Like, like it, it, I don't know how they knew this guy could do this. You know, like, I don't know how they saw him. Because, like, yeah, go on IMDb, look at his picture. He looks like just a handsome guy. But the fact that they, like, yeah, he can do the voice, but then can you do the the physicality of Mo? But he does both uh, in an amazing way. They all get the spirit of them in a way that is so, like, yes, they're, they're, it's maybe easier because the three Stooges were all 
real people. They delivered themselves to us as pretty two-dimensional, not cliches, but archetypes. And so it's almost like they bring more life to it. And they have to because it's color and it's modern and we need that. Like they bring that extra life to it, but they also completely, yeah, embody the spirit of what we what we feel about those guys. <laughs> I want to just point out, I want so in that year, the the nominees for Best Actor were Denzel Washington for Flight, Joaquin Phoenix for The Master, Hugh Jackman for uh, Les Miserables, Bradley Cooper for Silver Linings Playbook, and Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln. I feel like we could just get rid of Jackman, Cooper, and Lewis and just put Sasso, (laughs) Hayes, and (laughs) Diamatopoulos. Uh, and, you know, and they they split the vote, and I feel like Joaquin Phoenix or Denzel Washington could win. <laughs> it's fine. I don't think they either of any of them is the best actor, but I feel like they should all three be nominated. Like I can't see yeah. nominating one, yeah, because that, like, it really is. A, it's it's uh, something like that is as good as its weakest link, and the weakest link. Yeah, I, and I'll I'm not gonna pile on but the weakest link are the directors and in this case the directors (laughs) love the subject so much that that love of the subject transcends whatever their own limitations are for me as a (laughs) as as for filmmakers and that's kind of great i mean i'd rather see the farrelly brothers make this movie with these guys than whatever that version of you were talking about with Sean Penn and as good as that might have been. Uh, the celebrities would have gotten in the way. That and now let's talk about Will Sasso. My uh. God. This this <laughs> is one of the great comedy performances. And like it's so good. Like Curly to me, like that's got a that's a challenging role because to me it is the most iconic. It is like Curly is yeah, it's everybody Groucho. does Curly. It's, it's and the Curly, most beloved. Yeah, and like my breakdown of the Stooges, they were always trying to replace Curly and never hit the same heights that that original lineup of the Stooges or the original Columbia Shorts lineup was. But Will Sasso, like when you watch this movie, you just so quickly just are like, "That's Curly." Like you don't think of it as Will Sasso. You really are just like, "I'm watching Curly." He, they've risen him from the dead, and he is now in this movie. And he has that he has that the talent that the original Curly had of like he's a large big man, but has this amazing physicality and the way this grace in which he can move, like that 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 weird side flop he does in the water when he goes to save the dolphin and he does it his body just goes whoop and down like that's a that's an that's like a Jackie Chan move like that's an amazing physical <laughs> like his usage of his body is amazing and it, again it also kind of reminds you of like sam hung like really good sam hung a sam hung another large man but can just move in this amazing way in this amazing grace and it almost seems like there is no weight to his body the way he can just kind of float and move and kind of bounce around it's incredible and like it's just he is so funny and just the little things he does with his fingers and his hands and just these little ticks like he to me is like the true actor in this movie. Like he's really working with everything and he's really doing just like this little, like then the more to me, the repeat watchings of this movie, the rewarding part is watching him and kind of picking up on all these little things that he's doing all the time. Yeah. 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 Boy, he is. Yeah. 
it's not even it's it is a it's one of those things with that it's like they, a role that an actor was born to play yeah <laughs> like this denzel washington is malcolm x <laughs> uh what's his uh ben kingsley is gandhi i guess <laughs> although there's well, some that, maybe that's like that no no that's the thing <laughs> There, well, Sasso's it, better than Ben Kingsley as Gandhi. Yes, yes. Will Sasso as as is definitely yeah, yeah. Because Will Sasso walks around in Curly's body and has his whole life, whereas you know Ben Kingsley is an English guy playing an Indian guy. They did. They haven't. He, he didn't have to walk a, a life in Gandhi's shoes. <laughs> And Denzel Washington is not has not had to walk in Malcolm X's shoes, but it's closer. Like there's these like to me, there is this sense when an actor meets a role that is just after that. It's real. I mean, I guess someone else will play Curly if you're if your theory holds true, that there will just be stooges through the ages. Yeah. But. uh, he does you know, a better job than Joe Bester and Curly Joe Dorita. Like, like in the official Stooge, you know, like yeah. chronological order, like here. Like, Will Sasso, I think, is funnier as Curly here than Curly Joe Dorita was as a fake Curly. And like, think about it. He's a better Curly. He's a better well, fake Curly. So the other two actors totally had to do makeup and clown, like, do things to change who they are. Will Sasso did not change how, looking like Will Sasso one bit. It's all with <laughs> acting. It's yeah. all with that. But that's, it's sort of like, I never thought of Will Sasso as being anything like Curly as an actor. I think of it as yeah. being a lot more, a lot smarter and a much more sensitive <clears throat> actor in a way yeah. than I would ever, like I really, I couldn't see, I, I see him as more three dimensional and for to see him bring those three dimensions to the two dimensional archetype of Curly makes yeah it just it makes them both so much better. I want everyone to see this for that because I feel like I think everyone likes Will Sasso. I just feel yeah. like maybe he could have like one of those Jonah Hill roles <laughs> in like really good movies. Give yeah. Give Will, I, yeah. I, I, Come on, Will Sasso, like, like this yeah. should have been like in a in a in a in a in a correct world and not a wrong world. This should have made him a superstar. Like this should have been like he should have yeah. been like what what something about Murray was to Ben Stiller. This should have been for Will Sasso, where it's like I want to see him in so many things. And you're right, I want to see him do, you know, pull a 360 and do a brilliant dramatic performance in a Wolf of Wall Street type thing or something. Like, as I feel, he definitely has it within him and oh, yeah. luckily he's still young enough and, you know, and he who knows, still maybe... does lots of stuff i've seen him show up like in he's good constantly TV shows. working oh yeah. yeah he is a but, like, very I... trustworthy actor but at some but, like, point yeah but maybe we do we finally do the david mamet fatty arbuckle movie that he was going to make with chris farley and do it with will sasso like let's do let's see that happen you know let's see will sasso get like into that oscar like if or let's have, you know, like the Softy Brothers, what they did with Adam Sandler, do something with Will Sasso. Like, yeah, I want to see yeah. him. Like, I, yes. I, I feel yes. like there's a very strange, intense, good indie movie that could star Will Sasso that'll, like, floor everyone. Someone just needs to, like, tap into that. Yeah. Like, that just yeah. needs to happen. 
God damn. So if any of you filmmakers are out there listening to this, like, get Will Sasso, get him immediately. Come on. He will do it. And like, let's like, let's open Craig up his Brewer. filmography to even bigger. Yeah. Get, yeah. Get him into that next Eddie Murphy movie. (laughs) God, he's so good. And I've always loved him. Like, I loved him on Mad TV, like when he would do his uh, Kenny Rogers. (laughs) I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. But, like, he's he's always been great. Always. And I feel like he just needs to be pushed to that next level, that, that, that thing that makes, like, Steve Carell all of a sudden the star of a thing and not just a supporting player. Like, he needs that slight push to kind of put him in that place and i feel like it could still happen who knows i want it to let's get rich so we can make the great will sasso like indie you know film <laughs> the crossover you know you don't film that, like, you don't have to be rich to write it write that movie yeah, man yeah. all right that's i'm gonna write a movie with will sasso let's do it <laughs> one person we haven't mentioned yet that's very exciting the return of an actor from the november men in this movie. Oh, yeah. Saeed Badrea. Saeed Badrea. Yeah. Yeah. So he on his way to being an Oscar Hall of Famer at the end of this year. Uh, <laughs> we've now hit two. He just plays sort of like a like he's like an orderly or he's like working in the hospital. But I was very excited to see him in this movie after just seeing him in the November Men many episodes ago. So that that was that was a thrill. <laughs> now, uh, so you mentioned Larry David. He oh, playing yeah. Sister Mary Mengala. <laughs> now, that's like one of those things that's like, since Larry David's saying it, I'm hoping, like, if Larry David writes the Mengala Nazi joke, then it's funny. <laughs> if the Farrelly brothers do, it's offensive. <laughs> so, since Larry David's saying it, I'm giving them a pass. But my eyebrow is very raised, highly raised. And at the beginning, and then, it, and also that the orphanage is, is uh, founded 1934, and 34 was really the beginning of the Nazi thing in Germany. So you have the Mengele and 34 from these guys who were smart. This is the thing is like, they're, so they're smart and they know their history. And. But it's all Larry. It's all wrapped around Larry David, and I'm sure he's having fun with it. But I'm just sitting here, <laughs> arms over my chest, eye <laughs> cocked, being like, "Okay." <laughs> Do you think that was them trying to? Because like there were those Three Stooges shorts where Mo is Hitler and all that. Do you think that was their sly trying to reference that in a way of like, "Oh, they made fun of Nazis. We can do the same thing, sorta." I think it's yeah. I think it's one of those things where. <laughs> It's almost like the ambiguity, like it feels like someone feeling for feeling around for a joke, but not quite knowing how to do it. But again, because it's Larry David, it sells it for me, but it's, it just, it's one of those things like, "Eh, okay. Also, I want to get back to Larry David, but well, let's just stay on Larry David because there's another odd note, but yeah, he doesn't do much acting in other people's things, does he? No, just the other filmmaker that you talked about, Woody Allen. <laughs> so the two people, yeah, like the two filmmakers we talked about, got Larry David. Larry David got them, and uh, yeah, but he's because it's it's hard for Larry David to not just be Larry David. So like you don't have much range in terms of acting, in a way. <laughs> like you're gonna expect Larry David to be Larry David or a version of Larry David. 
But like the casting of him in this is brilliant because like you, why why would you think of that? Like why would that be? Like when they wrote this movie, did they think like this should be a dude? This should be Larry David? Or were they hoping that it would be like a funny lady? But then at the last minute, they're like, let's see if Larry David will. <laughs> it's such an odd casting choice, but it totally works. And there's actually not much drag going on because he's in the habit and the outfit that he doesn't wear a wig or anything. It is just his face within this nun outfit with maybe some makeup on. Not and not heavy makeup because he's a nun. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I didn't notice this, but Larry David wasn't just in whatever works. He was also in Radio Days and uh-huh. New York Stories. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's the, he's, the, he's the communist in Radio Days or whatever, right? Yeah. The neighbor. No, yeah, like him and Woody go way back. Like they have done three movies together and he's very good in all three of them. Um, I actually think that they should do another one. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Another, like, like, like the older Larry David gets, the more interesting he will be. Um, but yeah, it's like getting Larry David in this movie is such an interesting, like I wonder how that He must about. love like, the Stooges. He must love the well, Stooges. Yeah. <laughs> And and the that, pitch is that, great, you know. Yeah. You get to play a nun with <laughs> Jane Lynch and Jennifer Hudson and Kate Upton. <laughs> yeah, why not go crazy? <laughs> so, yeah, no, that is a weird. And again, if the Oscar is appreciated comedy, best supporting actor Larry David for the Three Stooges movie because he's I'm also quite, doing no, like, no, because Craig Bierko is better than him. In <laughs> well, this. you do both. It's it's like yeah. the Godfather too, where you just they, they fill just the sweep. category yeah, up. Yeah, they just sweep. With everybody. The part where Craig Bierko is hiding within his cast, <laughs> or as or as Mo says, yeah. he's turtling. That part is so <laughs> he's good. That part is so good. That is such a weird joke. And but back to Larry David, it's funny that his ringtone is a flat line. <laughs> the, the sound of a flat line is uh, Mary Ma- Mangala's uh, ringtone. <laughs> and we could like we could fill this episode with us just talking about every gag in this movie because this movie is just joke after joke after joke, and it's all so good and it moves so fast, and it's just and it's great because I think because it's the Stooges and because it's PG. It forces the Fairleys to kind of shelve their gross stuff. Like, it's still here, but it's toned way down. Like, sure, you get a shot of the back of a lion's nutsack. <laughs> and you get, like, a, you get Curly farting in a car full of people while it's sinking in the water. So you still get those little touches of their scatological humor. But because it's the Stooges, it's just way more leaning into the physical comedy. And my favorite bit in this movie is when they go through the back door in the alley and they're in a yep. room alone with the lights on them. And it's just, it's just, they just let it play out. It's like a solid two, two and a half minutes. Like you're watching of, them. It's like you're watching them on vaudeville. Like you're watching yeah, a vaudeville. Them just yeah. doing a long bit. And that part really, really reminded me of sort of like the really good Jackie Chan, Sam Hung kind of 80s. Hong Kong slapstick action comedies where it's just like watching people do this physicality, this amazing physicality, but with a great humor to it. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a, there's a series of movies Sam O'Hunked in the eighties called the lucky stars series, which is him kind of basically doing sort of like a 
Three Stooges sort of thing, but within the confinements of like an 80s Hong Kong action comedy. And it's amazing slapstick. And there's lots of bits like this scene in this movie where it's just like grown men doing these crazy physical things, but it's comedy, but it's also sort of like ballet. And it's just like this amazing choreography going on, you know? And that scene is so good. And all three performers are so good. And it's just watching them try to hit each other. And like, to me, that's the scene that really sold it for me. Like if you're a Stooges fan, like if you can sit through the movie long enough, I think it's probably at like the 40 minute mark or 45 minute mark. It seems like in the middle, that part is so good. Like that part is so rewarding to watch these actors do this. this It sounds like you're talking about some weird art film. Like you, like you have to sit through, what do you, you have to sit through all this great, like even the kids doing the, the kids who play them (laughs) are, are really great oh, doing yeah. this. It's no, just... yeah. And then the kid who plays Curly, uh, Robert Cap- Capron, he's really good. And he's really good in those Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies. Mm-hmm. Like he's really, he's plays sort of like the supporting kid and he has a voice in Frankenweenie. And he's really funny and he's really good. Um, but, and, uh, but yeah, it's just, yeah, who are their parents? Who knows? It's a, it's a, it's fan fiction can be delivered on that one, I guess. Anything else about this film you feel like we should? No, I feel like I went, I kind of got my, I'm excited. I'm happy that we were able to do a movie where I can kind of like burst at the seams with my stooge love. Like I'm a huge fan, always have been. And like this was sort of my way to kind of share my excitement. And if anyone ever meets me in real life, like I will talk to you about the three stooges for as long as you want. It's one of my favorite things. (laughs) <laughs> do you, does that make you like Iggy Pop and the Stooges more? Oh less? yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, like the fact that that's why they named their band is so great. Like that's exciting. Um, I even love the movie Stooge Mania starring Josh Mostel from the eighties. That's a great movie because it has to do with the Three Stooges. Like that's why I like Shane Black and Lethal Weapon because Lethal Weapon has all these Three Stooges things in it, which is. Partially also added from Mel Gibson, who's also a huge Three Stooges fan. Uh, and maybe the one reason why I will try to attempt to, uh, you know, love a Mel Gibson again someday, even though he's a difficult human being, is that he loves the Three Stooges. So maybe you can't be completely anti-Semitic if you love the Three Stooges. <laughs> that's my maybe that's my hope in his heart. He can open up and love the Jewish people through his love of the Three Stooges. Let's let you know, the Stooges uh, bring uh, us all together. <laughs> I knew know? this guy. I knew this 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 guy who used to uh, who was a, a writer of some note in Hollywood, and he used to say that, you know, that you know the reason why the French love Jerry Lewis, right? I was like, why? He says because Jerry Lewis justifies everything they already think about <laughs> Americans in general and Jews in particular. <laughs> That so, may be true for some of them, but hopefully there's a part, there's a little part of their heart being like, but I appreciate this person for what they do. So maybe I'm just I saying that that might no also be a play with Mel Gibson. Like he might also just like the idea of watching Jews get beaten up, <laughs> beat each other up. Well, yeah. it doesn't matter who's doing the beating, you know, he Let's likes seeing I hope not. I hope that it's like, let's all, let's all love each other through the Three Stooges. Let's open our hearts up 
to this uh this episode I have a, got you know, so dark all, in the end no no i have you know i have real i have real uh <laughs> like i have painful affection for mel gibson uh, in the same way that i have painful affection for you know i'll say i'll say kevin spacey these are both guys both actors who are just sort of have always been charismatically dangerous and they are both accused of doing stuff that is shitty but not criminal but if they weren't famous the shittiness wouldn't matter to most people and they wouldn't even be encouraged they wouldn't be able to be as shitty as they are so all of that is to say that i love that i i love watching kevin spacey in movies and i love watching mel gibson in movies and i feel sorry for any famous person who has their shit revealed but if that shit is that you are a an anti-Semite. Now I, now we're on other side, you know, like <laughs> I we're on, I'm sorry uh, we're, until like, I don't even know what you could do to make me not be like, oh, okay, well now you're like, now I still want to watch you, but you're the enemy because yeah. I'm your enemy because you've already said it. I know it. Not, like, like, okay. Like, <laughs> I still think you're fucking great, Mel. I just also now get to talk shit about you like this like because i'm not even talking shit i'm just saying what you said and it sounds like like that's like you're yeah yeah so i don't want to go down that road of we where we malign people for the stuff that we hear about them third hand sure but uh but yeah so you know but mel gibson i'm with you i enjoy i i would like to see him do i don't know if i'd like to see him do mo though could he do mo i think he would come off as too mean I think it would be kind of scary. It would be like the scene in Signs when he's eating everyone's dinner. Like where you're just kind of like, oh, God, this is awful. This is terrible. I think it would be yeah. like that. <laughs> I think that. Yeah, they're all like too that. They're all too movie They're starry. too intense. Yeah. And Jim Carrey would have done a too hammy, curly, and Larry, and like Sean Penn as Larry yeah. would have been too like weird method acting, something weird going on there. I think you need... You need like a Will Sasso. You need someone who can just kind of disappear in it and doesn't have that kind of star baggage to, uh, yeah. to yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah. It's weird to think that like people as famous as Will Sasso and Sean Hayes, they're like, they're famous, they're successful, they're wealthy. And yet you have to figure that their careers are on some level humbling in this yeah. strange way that like, you know, like maybe like the whole Martin Short thing, like he's so much more talented than he is successful. And that there's yeah. something humbling about that. And it like it's just an odd it's an odd place to be. But in this case, it's perfect for this film because they bring just the right amount of a lack of gravity. Yeah. yeah. That you don't like you aren't bringing the baggage <laughs> of Sean Penn and Mel Gibson, <laughs> Mel and, Gibson. and Jim Carrey. <laughs> That's too much. Also, it seemed like there'd be a lot of infighting within that cast. It would be. Sort I'd of love like a to weird, see like, the diva... videotapes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we're thinking of the same thing. That they, I'd like to see the videotape, the outtakes of their like, if they shot, if they filmed them doing the bits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I'd like to see the Ben Stiller show version of that. With Ben Stiller as Mel Gibson and Andy Dick as Jim Carrey 
and doing <laughs> curly. <laughs> uh, who would be? Uh, who would be? I guess Bob Odenkirk as Larry. No, Andy Sh- Dick as Larry. Sean Penn as Larry. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, who knows? That would have been. <laughs> Though I kind of see Andy Dick being a good Larry. I don't know. I feel like he could have done a good Larry. He could have if it, if if this movie was made in 1997. And he could have like, casting yeah. it. Like I feel like that could have been an interesting. Uh, I could see him doing that. I don't know. But knowing him as well <laughs> as I do, I think someone would have got hurt uh, with what, even with but... one of those rubber mallets. <laughs> Uh, but at least no. we have him as Woody Allen as a mummy. So that we'll oh, always yes. have that. So yeah. <laughs> You know, we could I wonder should we do an a, an episode about the Ben Stiller show? You know, it's weird because that is a loved show in a way, but at the same time it should be loved more. Like that should be considered one of the great shows. Yeah, we should do an episode about that at some point cuz <laughs> uh, we'd have we definitely have stuff to talk about and Yeah. I bet there's a whole you know, well, there's a whole generation of our listeners who haven't ever heard of. And that. the world was certainly wrong at the time. At the time, that show was a failure. And then people appreciated it after the fact. But not everybody. So, yeah. I don't know. Like, I love, uh, God, I love that show. And I can watch it a million times. So, we actually have a special guest uh, for this episode. So tell, tell us about this guest, Andros. Oh, well, you'll, you'll hear about Daniel Passer is a, uh, a comedian and a teacher of comedy and also a particular purveyor of slapstick and clowning in uh, big shows in, in Vegas. And uh, I actually, well, we'll talk about it. You'll hear. I have a history with this guy. And it ain't pretty. It's not even funny. <laughs> I, I mean, it is funny, but uh, I didn't know it was funny. That's that's what makes it really funny is that I I thought it was serious. Uh, but we'll get into that. <laughs> Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. Or follow us on Instagram at the World Is Wrong Podcast. And now, back to the show. Thank you for doing this. Of course, of course. Um, so, Andras, I don't know many Andrases. Are you? Have we met through Andy Dick before? Yes, we have. We've had a few different interactions. Uh, through Andy I Dick so. and through Amos. But the last time we interacted was on the podcast that Andy Dick and Dino did together. Thank you. That's it. And yes, we were course. in that little room at Starburns and there was another comedian there whose yes. name I don't remember. And he was, he really... He, Rifkin. He, he really ta- took in, it laid into me and it was very odd. And like, and I... <laughs> and, <laughs> And, and it, was, it was oddly, I mean, it's one of those things that I, I work with Andy so much uh, and I've known him yeah. for so long that that level of discomfort is sort of like always <laughs> around. So I'm, it's one yeah. of those things. And I, and I yeah. remember feeling terrible about it. And afterwards, like, I didn't feel like I needed to apologize to anyone else there, but I did feel like I needed to apologize to you. And so I did reach that. Really? That was our last interaction. I sent you a little I remember apology, that now. Yes. and you were very nice about it. You're like, oh, don't worry about it. But I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't think anything of it other than 
I, I thought that you were in on the joke somehow because I came into the session late. Yes, yes. And yeah, that's what it is. We were all, he was all, we were already in the middle of this thing. Yes. And exactly. I was, yeah, it was not. <laughs> I, it was that's not, what I, you were not in on the joke. I was like, not in on like the joke implicity. on the micro level, but I was in on the joke <laughs> from the macro level. Like, I yes. think that's one of the yes. things, like, I'm a great straight yes. guy to Andy's madness because I am genuinely annoyed and flustered. And I also genuinely <laughs> feel responsible for him. And I'm not going to like, yes. like, even if I storm out of totally. the room, I'm coming back. Yeah. I'm a yes. perfect foil for that madness. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I do. I get it. Whereas a smarter person oh, would walk good. out of the room. Uh, I, I don't. <laughs> right. No, this is this is your your gold and the bane of your existence, I'm sure, all yes. at the same time. Well, this is actually yeah. this is perfect because we're Great. getting into archetypes and it's a yes. it's a kind of comic archetype that mm -hmm. I embody when I'm in the world of comedians. Totally. You have a background and a training in theater and in clowning and in mm -hmm. slapstick and yep. obviously a deep and abiding love of the three stooges as well as a, mm -hmm. a sh this shared connection we have with andy and anthony yeah. rapp and dino stamatopoulos and some yes, of my exactly. favorite people so exactly. let's talk a little bit about the iconography of the Stooges, because that's really, I wanted you to bring just a little bit of academic and personal expertise. We've just talked mm -hmm. a lot about the Three Stooges movie, and the thing that I really got out of watching the Three Stooges movie, did you see it, the the, the Fairley uh, Brothers film? I did not see the, the, the movie about them, or the movie with other yeah. people playing them. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, because what, you're, what you see is... Whether you like or don't like the film, the actors playing the Stooges are excellent at embodying those bits. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it, it I guess it makes someone who do, hasn't been inside those bits realize, oh, those are bits in a way that right. you don't right. feel when you're watching. I mean, you, you're kind of aware of it when you're watching the Three Stooges, but you also on some level think, well, that's just them. <laughs> it's like yeah. watching a band do a cover of a song. You're like, oh, they did. They're not just the Beatles aren't just making that up. Those are actually notes and chords, and people can right, right, play right. those things. Like I could actually do a Three Stooges bit if I practiced it, just like I could do a dance. And so, yep, totally. Uh, yeah. So I just wanted you to, if you know, on some on some level, just sort of deconstruct a little bit of like the the real artistry behind what the Stooges are doing. Well. Man, the the each of them has a different archetype, but the Stooges on the whole also play sort of this, you know, a specific kind or type of clowning where, you know, it's 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 what we have had historically as like the fools, the fools who please the king. In this in this context, the king that you know how they always have. Uh, someone who has like high authority who's around them, like somebody who who comes in and they're actually sophisticated in some way, whether they're trying to impress girls who they feel like that, or there's a boss involved and they're workers and they're working class, even though within the three of them, 
they have different uh, class structure. You know, clearly one is higher in status than the other two, and they keep trying to jockey for who the who the one who would be next to that person is. But they're they're playing with status a lot, but they're also playing with this idea of kind of catharsis, where they get to do everything that in society we don't get to do now. And this provokes like big questions now, where you know you see in people's tolerance of behavior that there's a certain lack of awareness of this idea of catharsis or slapstick, or they're like, but that's so cruel what they're doing to each other. And, oh, they're being so mean, they're bullying each other. Whereas like, well, you're, 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 you're taking it as real, which is the purpose of something like the Stooges is to take it into the unreal, that they get to do these things that you would be killed immediately. Somebody takes a hammer and, and hits you over the head with it. You're, you don't really come up the other side of that but in their context, it's like, well, they're able to do all of these things that we don't get to do. And there's this release, this like, ah, release that we get to have by watching it. Um, that I don't know, you know, with the exception of something like wrestling or, you know, Jackass or Sasha Baron Cohen or these things that we, we have these moments where we get to do that. But in so many other ways, it's, it's being leveled, like it's being evened out and I wonder if that's not why we don't have these extreme behaviors and reactions from people because there isn't that kind of catharsis that we don't have that sort of ability to be like oh it's all taken so so seriously that that, that there's not this kind of room to let the steam out of this pressure cooker. And I'm curious, you, you haven't seen the Three Stooges movie, and that's what this whole this episode's no. about. But it, in a way, it kind of makes you a perfect person to ask about it in this sense. So you are obviously, on some level, aware of it, and you're deeply aware right. of the Three Stooges. And one of the things we do on the yeah. podcast, is the podcast calls, is called The World is Wrong, where we celebrate films that the mm. world is wrong about. And... Yeah. Uh, my co-host, Brian, is a big fan of the Three Stooges. He's got a tattoo of Shemp on his body. And oh. <laughs> uh, so he's he's not, like, ironically into the Three Stooges. And he yes. also loves, loves, loves the Three Stooges movies. Now, I don't really love the Farrelly Brothers, and I have a general fondness, but not tattoo-worthy. I have no tattoos, but if I was going to get a tattoo, mm -hmm. I don't think the Stooges would be my first way go to, although it's a very good right. choice on his part. Uh, yes. But I just watched the Three Stooges movie and I loved it. But my point mm -hmm. is, as someone who hasn't seen it, I'm always curious what people think about a movie that they haven't seen, especially one that's unpopular, but also potentially in their wheelhouse, like sort of stepping on your territory. So do you have any response yep. to that? Well, to me kind of fit into the to the idea or genre of movies of if a group of people were going to play the Marx Brothers or uh, and I was going to say Laurel and Hardy but I did happen to see the Laurel and Hardy movie and thought it was really interesting but if it were two people who were doing Laurel and Hardy routines I don't think I, I mean if that was the purpose of the movie I don't think I would be that compelled to watch it as I could watch the originals 
Like I think that's a big part of it is seeing the originals. If it were a reinvention of it somehow, that would be a different story. And maybe this, maybe this is, but in my, in my mind, at least hearing about the movie, it was, Oh, this is going to be these people playing the three stooges doing the three stooges, like actually doing a, a three stooges movie where I'd be like, oh, I would rather watch the old Three Stooges. It's kind of, to me, a, yeah. Yeah. A, it's not a good comparison, but it would be like, you know, when the new Blues Brothers came out. And I was like, mm, I don't know. Brian also loves I like the, the new old Blues, Blues Brothers. Brothers. <laughs> yeah, I'm the, See, I haven't watched yeah. it. I haven't watched yeah, it. Yeah, I haven't watched it either. He's gonna Eventually, he's going to make me. That's one of the efforts in the, one of the games <laughs> of this podcast is we make each other. We're well, two friends making each other watch. And sometimes there are ones that we both already agreed on. But uh, right. I wouldn't have seen well, this that's movie interesting. otherwise. But I loved it. I, well, I'll tell it's you, making me want to. Well, I'll tell you this because you've, you know, another... Uh, I don't know if you crossed paths with, paths with him when you were working with Andy, but I think you might have. Will Sasso plays oh, sure. uh, plays Curly, and oh yeah, it's you, he is just born to play Curly. It's amazing. Totally. It's amazing. Yeah. The rest of them are all great, but it's as it, it, it that might be enough to to make you give ninety yep. minutes to it because it's not totally. It's pretty unpretentious and i think that really huh. works for it it's unpretentious mm-hmm. and you can tell that the fairly that everyone involved loves the three stooges so it is like a very loving cover band which oh that's cool you know yeah. that's a it's it's good it's good and uh so it's funny you kind of caught me off guard because i was like oh well i wanted to get your reaction to the movie but i realized it's actually kind of cool to get your uh to get to to get your pre-reaction and dig into the you know also just dig into now what is just to sort of wrap this up what is your personal Mm -hmm. story with the stooges well i we used to watch it as kids for sure like i i watch i watched the stooges as kids and really well you know we watched as like my brothers and i watched the stooges laurel and hardy were two abbott and costello um mark's brothers and again we were kind of pitted in terms of oh but you know the difference between chaplin and harold lloyd or buster keaton so we we were all in this but I had a big love across the board. Like I was like, oh, I love all, I love all of this. And I remember for me, as much as laughing at the Stooges themselves, like what they were doing, I loved being in a group of people watching them and all of us having this reaction at the same time. Like just this feeling of like, oh, the, like the, the outrageousness of what they were doing. And then later, when I ended up, you know, I hadn't watched them for years until I ended up traveling with, uh, with Cirque. And we would watch them together as a group of clowns. Like, we would watch um, the Stooges, we would watch the Marx Brothers, you know, we would have comedians that we would love to follow. And depending on what we were creating, we would just do a deep dive into it. And so that was the kind of later incarnation of my 
appreciation for what they were doing. Because like you said, when I was a kid at least, I just kind of assumed it was them. I was just like, well, this is just what they're doing. There's not not necessarily any skill to it. This is just who they are. <laughs> and it wasn't until later that I was like, oh, the the ability to play that the way they were playing is like, you know, after I got into Commedia dell'arte and things like that, I realized, oh, these people were so into their archetypes, characters, what they could play, that they could be put in any situation at any time and take off and go do. And sure, they had to do like major choreography and things like that of what they were doing, but they could also just dive into it pretty quickly. Like their energy of what they could feed off of. And so this form of improvisation based on knowing the vocabulary, the wants and needs, what would take somebody off, their status was so strong with these guys that they could throw themselves into any situation. And when a different stooge came along and, you know, like I'm sure everybody has their favorites of which, you know, trio that they love the most, but they provided such a different sort of dynamic between them and through through such a different energy in terms of how they play together. Yeah. I'm curious, this is just out of the blue. Have you ever seen the film Nothing But Trouble? I haven't. What, what was That's that one? It's the Dan Aykroyd film where that he directed with Chevy no. Chase and Demi Moore. And, oh, there's just these two characters, these two big baby characters, and I just realized, I wonder if he's kind of riffing on Curly there. Because Curly is such a huh. baby character. I think that's why a lot of, like, I don't know. Did you did you relate to one Stooge or other more? Curly was my was my favorite, for sure. Yeah, I think every, that nobody, who, I just who loved... relates to Mo? Exactly. Exactly. I don't know, maybe Andy Dick. I think maybe Andy Dick relates to Mo. <laughs> yeah, I think there is something there. Um <laughs> It's really funny. Well, and you know, you can tell that Aykroyd is a big Curly fan. Like, you know, he he does Curly in some of his movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, and he was exactly. supposed to be, he was, because he was supposed to be D-Day in Animal House, and he does that, too. Uh, totally. I didn't know he was supposed to be D-Day. Oh, yeah. That's he was cool. supposed to be D-Day, and then, I don't know, movies, movie business happened. So I'm yeah. just curious, uh, you've worked with Andy and you've worked with Anthony Rapp and you've worked with Dino Stamatopoulos and they're all from Chicago. Are you from Chicago too? No, I met them all separately at different times. So I met Andy first at Second City down in when it was alive in Santa Monica. Right. And Did I saw he and Dino doing some routines. Well, because we were, I was in the, I was in one early iteration of the Circus of Freaks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And that was when we used to do stuff at the Natural Fudge. Remember the Natural Fudge? So, little I do. Coffee shop. Uh, I do. Near the Scientology building. Totally. <laughs> so I wonder if we had run into each other. I think we had even run into each other at that point. Were you at the show where Dino got naked and ran through the audience? No. Oh. 
That's no. Right. Uh, and Anthony, actually, Anthony was a part of that. Uh, the the first time I was a member of the Circus of Freaks was uh, Anthony was in it and I was in it and Dino and Andy. I was the natural fudge. And oh, that's hilarious. And it was very. Yeah, it was it, it was pro uh, after after that, when I saw all the Mr. Show stuff and all the other stuff that sort of came out around yep. that. I always likened it to Circus of Freaks, of course, and including the Andy Dick show, mm-hmm. which is criminally totally. underseen. And we could do a whole. I couldn't agree more. A whole totally. episode. I really do want to do a whole. I've been bugging Andy to get, get me at least like, uh, I don't know where you can watch yeah. it. Because I really want to do an episode about that. Because if you love if you love the Ben Stiller show and Mr. Yeah. Show and the Andy Dick show is, exactly. is is part of that whole thing, and you're really missing something yep. if you don't get that. Um, totally. Yeah, and you were totally. a director on that. You were you directed versions of the Circus of Freaks at uh, I did at Second City, or I. I did that at the when when we were at the Key Club. Got it at the Key Club, and then that turned into the Andy yeah. Dick Show. Yeah, exactly. And exactly, you, you acted in the Andy Dick Show, but did, were you a, a part of the writing and production? I, I wasn't a part of the writing. No, I just I just was a performer in that, and that was right before I I took off back to graduate school. I think. Yeah. Andy Dick will is an agent of change. Really? He really is. <laughs> he is. Um, I know. He's a, you know, t- talk about someone who is at the forefront of all of the movements that are going on, whether he's leading it or receiving it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, and then, but you were saying, and then you met Anthony. Oh, Anthony, I met later. We were part of some theater festival together, and then just kind of became fast friends in a in a totally different environment, and didn't realize we had the connection with Andy until way later. Wow, that's yeah, because An- Anthony is who introduced me to Andy. We act, Anthony, I, Anthony, and I acted in a film together in oh, cool. 1988 with Drew Barrymore uh, called Far what From Home. What was the film? Yeah, it's called Far From Home. It's oh, yeah. a great cast. Uh, Jennifer Tilly's in it, and Matt Frewer, and Dick Miller. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a blast. A great, a great. Oh, that's uh, great. And led to two of my uh, great and long friendships with Anthony and Andy, and of course that I guess then the odd one out or in on this is my high school friend Amos, who has nothing to do with any of that world except. That you know, not to say nothing to do with any of that world because he's also a professional funny person. How do you know mm-hmm. Amos? This is uh, I should I should just say since we're broadcasting this, not we're recording for broadcast. Yeah. This is Amos Glick, who has not been a guest on this show, but you will you may recognize him as uh, the mailman from the recent Wandavision series. So exactly. Anyway, uh, yes, go exactly. on. Exactly. So uh, Amos and I met through a show that we did at the Wynn, a water show, where it was the same director who did O, and so this one was called Le Rev. And he came in 
after we had opened and joined our team of clowns when one of uh, one of the original team had taken off. And again, just became friends. He was one of the few people I knew who could fit his entire fist in his mouth. Like Richard Kind, I think the two of them are the only ones I, I know who can actually put their whole fist in their mouth. And uh, almost just a good guy. Just a really good guy. Yeah, he is. I can... He's been a good yeah. guy for a long, long time. And when you, it's funny when you were mentioning that you traveled with Cirque for just, I knew mm-hmm. it took me a second because the first thing I thought was, you're too young to have traveled with Douglas Cirque. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> uh, That's okay. funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I like was in that. a production of Written on the Wind with Rock Hudson. We took it on the road. <laughs> um, exactly. Well, good. is there anything you'd like to promote on on this? Your website? I, we'll put a link to that. Sure, danielpasser.com. Um, right now, the next things that I'm, I'm really working on is um, moving from my family room into the kitchen and starting to go back out into the world again a little bit. So many uh, of the uh, the gigs have been postponed for so long. Now, one thing that that is up on the docket for the summer is, I don't know if you've heard about these one-euro homes in Italy. I hesitate to say this out loud, just in case a bunch of people get the same idea. But there's there I've been reading about these small towns in Italy that you can get a home for one euro if you fix it up. So I'm thinking about heading off to Italy for a little bit. Well, I only have good thoughts and memories of you and I'm and I and especially now that I know that uh that you really first of all didn't even remember that awkward interaction and more so no. you were amused by it and for a while just thought I was actually being professionally funny which I'm not uh that makes yeah, me even I happier think that. <laughs> so. uh, no I really did I ass- I assumed it was a, it was a bit yeah it was of course this it, we're doing we're still doing it <laughs> Good. That's excellent. This is Kate Zazowski. And this is Caitlin Reese. And we are straight guys. Okay, no, we're not. We're actually queer women. Fooled ya. Literally, no one believed we were actually straight guys. Your mom did. That doesn't even make sense. Join us as we roast straight and gay culture, answer sex and dating questions from straight folks, and make the news gay. We also roast each other. It's pretty easy. Caitlin kind of sucks. And we have a lot of funny queer special guests. So listen to Straight Guys. A podcast that's anything but on Paperhouse Network. Radio 8 Paul. Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing... The Radio 8 Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show. Mm-hmm.
So, when we're not doing this show, we each have our own podcasts. You've been taking a little bit of a break, but it's okay. You deserve one. You made 666 episodes of the Radio 8 Ball show. And on the show, you ask questions. You pick songs at random to answer it. It comes into a very meaningful place. Have you ever... So, you clearly never had any of the Three Stooges on your show because they were long dead before you ever started. Did you ever have... Well, you said you lived, you know, behind Andy Dick in a trailer or whatever. Did you ever have him on your show? It didn't. I didn't live behind Andy Dick or in, in the a trailer. trailer. Andy <laughs> Dick had a couple of really nice Airstream trailers okay. in his, next to his place in Hollywood, and I lived in one of them. <laughs> so it wasn't like in the Stooges like a movie where you're in a dumpster and they throw the newspaper in front of the dumpster. Mm. It wasn't like no, that. no. <laughs> okay. So a very. It was pretty. It was. It was a. It was in the era of Entourage, and I was like, we. I was sort of like the E in a very, uh, the nerdiest kind of like the losery, but still like we would be at events with the people who are in Entourage at that time. So, you know, whether it's Mark Wahlberg or uh, Britney Spears or. You know, like at the at clubs where people are getting bottle service at their tables and there's Christine Aguilera and Andy Dick would hang in those crews, but his crew was the Andy Dick crew. And so there was always just this <laughs> sort of like people were alternately attracted and sort of disgusted. And he was cool, but being in Andy Dick's entourage is particularly an odd, an odd entourage to travel in. But... I think you were leading me towards that. Yes, Andy has been on on your show. He's been on Radio Eight Ball many times, and one of the great things about uh, having Andy on Radio Eight Ball, I have versions with him on Radio Eight Ball as sober Andy, when he's very, very funny and very sweet and very thoughtful and interested, and then I have ones where it's drunk Andy and he is screaming on the phone. And being insane in ways that are <laughs> just that's just part. Like, I really feel like we've we've documented the full package of Andy Dick on Radio Eight Ball. But not only that, working with Andy as I have, I've for many years. I always, whenever I booked Andy, I always had his friend Dino Stamatopoulos as a reserve. So like if Andy, I'm going to book Andy for this thing on Wednesday at 11, but if he can't make it, can I call you and have you come on? And that ha- that happened at least twice. And he's the reason why we're doing this episode, because he brought it up on, I think, your Facebook or something. He was like, why don't you do the Three Stooges movie? Yeah. And then I mentioned, well, we already had, you know, Brian's been talking about this already, so we should just do it. Yeah. I didn't, I'm not sure. I'm sure that he likes it because of the Stooges, but I also think that having... That Chris Diamatopoulos is the... <laughs> Another long, hard-to-say last-name Greek man. Greek name, <laughs> last name. Yes. That 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 must endear the film to him just a little bit. Uh, I mean, it, it, it vicariously endears it to me a little bit. Because when I see Chris Diamatopoulos' name, which I hope I'm getting right, there, it makes me think of Dino Stamatopoulos, who I know loves this movie as well. So it just it has a general feeling of like, oh, I like when things rhyme. Uh, so. 
<laughs> so yes, and there are some really fun episodes. That, oh, here's one that I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one really great story with Dino on Radio Eight Ball. So we did a live event at the Capitol Theater in Olympia, Washington of Radio 8 Ball with Chris Sandman Sand as the musical guest. And even the event was kind of fraught and exciting because it was the Olympia Music Awards and it was people were voted uh, on, like the winners were voted on on the web. And this was right after Chaos had canceled uh, Radio 8 Ball for reasons we, that we won't go into, but I wrote about in my book, Accidental Initiations in the Kabbalist Decree of Olympia. Uh, and <laughs> at that event, Dino Skyped in to ask a question. And his question was about whether or not Community, the film that he, the TV show that he was also a producer of and acted in in the role of Starburns, uh, the Dan Harmon show that launched quite a few comedic and acting careers. Mm -hmm. And he was asking if they were going to get canceled, which they ultimately did. And then, you know, there's this whole thing that Harmon and he got booted out or Harmon got booted out and Dino walked off with them. And then the next season was crappy. And then they came back for the final season or what's the final season <laughs> so far. And he got the song horse graveyard, which was the most, dour like 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 <laughs> deathly like yes you are going to get canceled answer possible <laughs> and dino was sitting there like having a great time drinking a bottle of vodka on the big screen that was like it was broadcast on the big on the big screen at the movie theater it was really great it was a it was a very magical night and uh and you can find it on the i'll i'll <laughs> if i think about it if i remember to i'll post a link to it uh, in the show notes. And if I don't remember, then you can just look for it on YouTube and possibly on Vimeo as well. Uh, Radio 8 Ball, all one word, and Dino Stamatopoulos and Chris Sandman Sand. And enough about Radio 8 Ball. Let's talk about some real synchronicity. Francis Ford Coppola and The Director's Wall. You have a podcast called The Director's Wall with now friend of the show, AJ Gonzalez. And uh, you talk about all of the films of a given director. First, you did M. Night Shyamalan. Yep. Shyamalan, Shyamalan, mm -hmm. M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan. Shut Shyamalan. your Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Uh, and, <laughs> and now you are doing Francis Ford Coppola. And um, yeah. let's see. Coppola's never really done comedy. He's like bumped into it. Like it's like there's definitely comedic parts in Mum from the Heart. There's definitely like some unplanned slapstick from Peggy Sue Got Married with like Nicolas Cage and Jim Carrey. Jack kind of leans into it's comedy. Almost, no, well, it has comedic actors, but it's not. But, like, no. There's there's comedy in that movie though, but it definitely is like a drama with like some comedy. But like he's never really gone full yeah, it's he's never made like a 1941, you know. Does Coppola or, just uh, know that he's just not or, funny? You know, like it's, you know, like maybe he knows his place. But the thing is, there is funny things in like Apocalypse Now and all his movies. But like, it's definitely like, like I wish he would because I do appreciate that type of like Mad Mad World in 1941. Like when a director is known for being dramatic, makes and aims to make a slapstick comedy. 
it's always interesting the results whether it's a, it works or not so like i kind of wish he would have done like some big broad crazy comedy but uh you know he's still around so that may happen who knows maybe he'll decide to kind of bring it well did he ever uh, uh did francis but... ford coppola ever dabble in comedy at all I mean, I guess you could say that Peggy Sue got married to comedy. Sort Damn, of? I am trying to give like you a. Wistful, a la- I'm trying to give you a layup. Like, that's didn't like he a ever wistful... work on like a maybe a comedy TV show? Was that? Did he have any association with some sort of <laughs> there live? Is, there is an episode of there is a Saturday Night Live episode that he is either the director of or he's playing the director in the show. And that that is very good, and we did just recently cover that on our on our show. So like that, that is definitely a, a comedy. But it was also during the time when th- people thought SNL was not funny. This was like the Robert Downey Jr., Randy Quaid, uh, Terry Sweeney years that are not as fondly remembered as any of the other ones before or after. So maybe it still doesn't count as a comedy to some people because they don't think it's funny. But Hey, Philip Glass is in an episode. How that that's funny. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, has he ever like? And uh, I'm trying to think of any connections to this film. I don't think is it possible that there is n- there are zero degrees or like an infinite degree of separations between the Three Stooges movie and Francis Ford Coppola. I think the only way to get to it would be through Larry David. Larry David being in the movie Woody Allen and Woody Allen making New York stories with Coppola. I feel like that's the closest that you can get. From- well, Syed, B- Syed Badrea in November Men, who worked with Paul Williams, who uh, has connections to Francis Ford Coppola, we discussed in our last episode. So, uh, yeah. you know, that's... But- but how does this all connect to Kevin Bacon? That's what I really oh, want to know. Why? Why? This is so much more interesting. I want to know the seven degrees of Will Sasso. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, I think we we really unpacked this movie quite a bit. We've now reached an episode longer than the actual movie, which is always an admirable goal of the World is Wrong podcast. <laughs> should we have like a should we have a disclaimer at the end of this? I wonder what our disclaimer would be. I guess our disclaimer would be uh, if you want to reach us, reach out to us at contact at the world is wrong podcast.com or find us on Instagram at, at the world is wrong podcast. And uh, I, you know, we we hope you're we hope you're digging these. You know, if you listen to the these shows on a format where you can give us uh, ratings and reviews, please give us great ratings and reviews. It'll help other people find us. And next week we are going to be covering the Arthur Penn film with Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson, The Missouri Breaks, with Stephen Peros. The uh, the writer of the film The Cat's Meow, the first time that we have put something out into the universe and then had one of the creators of that reach out and say, hey, I want to be on your thing. Well, he didn't really say that. That's so we kinda, He said, hey, that thanks a lot. And they're like, come on and do this thing with us. And he said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's so exciting. Because like, yeah, if you listen to the episode, we love The Cat's yeah. Meow. He is a great writer, and I'm really excited to hear what he has to say about the Missouri Bricks, which is an endlessly fascinating movie. Oh, yeah. So 
that's going to be great. That's going to be great. Do you have anything you want to say to encourage people to watch the Missouri Breaks? I guess you just did. Just watch it. Like, yeah, watch the movie. Definitely watch it before you hear people talk about it because there is a very, a lot of strange decisions in that movie that I think is fun if you don't know Mm -hmm. they're coming that you're definitely going to unpack when you talk about it. And like on the surface, it seems like a movie that you don't want to watch. You're like, what's this 70s Western with these weird actors in it? But it's very good. It's very different. And Marlon Brando and Jack Nicholson are on fire, as are all the supporting actors. Uh, it's really worth watching, like 100%. Like, watch it. After you watch The Three Stooges, if you haven't seen that yet, watch Misery Breaks. And then I'm very excited to hear you guys sort of, like, kind of analyze it and, and praise it. If The Missouri Breaks were The Three Stooges... Marlon Brando would be Curly, <laughs> Jack Nicholson would be Mo, and who's Larry? <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton or Frederick Forrest? Yeah. Oh no, I think Frederick Forrest is Larry. Harry Dean Stanton is Shemp. <laughs> oh yes, and then we get Shemp in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you, Missouri yeah. breaks traits treats their female character. There's only one of them, but with more respect than any woman has ever been treated in all <laughs> of the Farrelly brothers movies together. So uh, check it out. And until Wonderful. next time, folks, you gotta just uh, keep this in mind because you know things can get crazy out there. But just, just know that the world is wrong, and it's probably wrong about you. I know a ditty, nutty as a fruitcake, goofy as a goon, and silly as a loon. Some call it pretty, others call it crazy. But they all sing this tune. Mezzy dotes and dozy dotes and little lambsy divy, a kiddly divy too, wouldn't you? Yes, mezzy dotes and dozy dotes and little lambsy divy, a kiddly divy too, wouldn't you? Hey, wait a minute, Larry. What's all this doozy doozy and oatsies, oatsies, deets and yeah, the lambsies? You sound very silly. Well, if you don't understand it, listen, I'll explain it. If the words sound queer and funny to your ear, a little bit jumbled and jivey, sing mares eat oats. Mares eat oats? And does eat oats? And does eat oats? And little lambs eat ivy. This episode is brought to you by Voodoo Ranger. It's beer. It's hoppy, trend-setting, innovative, served with a little sarcasm, just like Paperhouse Network. Paperhouse Network is hoppy? Uh, yeah. It's like beer for your ears. Get yourself a Voodoo Ranger!